Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal women and those of you who love them. Mothers, daughters, grand and great-grandmothers, fearsome and generous, humble and honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. You know, here we dig deep and we come up strong. For those of you joining us for the first time, each month we explore a new theme inspired by you. Yeah, I said you. We bravely walk into places where tradition has taught us that there are some things we just don't talk about, but not at this table. And no matter how hard judgment knocks, it can't come in. Beloved, we live beyond the wreckage here. Every week, we experience, educate, and encourage and empower each other. We share our aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for too long. Every week, we start right where we are. I am so excited about how this show is progressing. We are celebrating the fourth month of proof that dreams can come true. Frankly speaking with Tyra G is one of my most priceless dreams. I thank God for every remembrance of you. I thank you for your ideas, your presence, and your encouragement. They are the gifts that have inspired you. know, I can't do this show without you. Thanks so much. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, on your TV, computer, or mobile device, and we are webcast worldwide on the Internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, should you miss us, no worries. You can catch our, our podcast, excuse me, on YouTube on Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. And if you just feel like connecting with me offline, you know I'd love that. It's easy. Just email me at tyra at tyragarlington.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song and for naming it, I'm Listening. Our theme this month is The Gift is in the Giving. We're shifting our paradigm from thinking of gifts we receive wrapped in beautiful, shiny paper with ribbons and bows, our sparkling gift bag. Or gift cards, or cars and bikes, and everything nice we might have asked for. This month we're focusing on the gifts that live inside of each of us. Those we were born with. Did you know you came here with an unlimited set of dreams and possibilities to be discovered and nurtured and given away? Each month I like to share what some of my favorite writers say in their own ways, in their own words about our themes. Winston Churchill said of giving... We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Cahil Gibran writes, You give little, but when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. Frances Burnett, in the book A Little Princess, writes, I love this. If nature has made you for a giver, your hands are born open, and so is your heart. But though there may be times when your hands are empty, your heart is always full. You can give things out of that, warm things, kind things, sweet things, help and comfort and laughter. Sometimes gay, kind laughter is the best help of all. Robert Louis Stevenson said, 
You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, on your computer, mobile device, and we are webcast at WWW Radio Fairfax, Saturday evening, 8 p.m. In order to create our common space, we have thoughts that I share. Now, what I'm going to say to you is not going to be in the forefront of your mind when you think of the term legacy. Susan Borsak, I found this interesting, has something called the Legacy Project, and she expands on legacy through different lens, and I'd like for you to listen with your heart and with your mind. A legacy may take many forms, children, grandchildren, a business, an ideal, a book, a community, a home, some piece of ourselves. Our legacy naturally intrigues us. It's perfectly understandable that we'd want to know how the world will remember us after we're gone. How many of us will be surprised? How many of us are living our lives so that our legacy reflects all that we truly hold most near and dear? How many of us are living with integrity and courage? Leaving a legacy is a human need. It's part selfish. We want to feel immortal. The idea of leaving something behind that will live forever is appealing. We also want to feel that we matter in this vast sea of humanity. By connecting with those at the beginning of their lives, we do complete a full circle in life's journey and leave some of ourselves, our experiences, ideas, values, and personal examples in minds, in the minds and hearts of others. But leaving a legacy also has an altruistic component. If we don't leave a positive legacy, what kind of society are we building? What kind of world are we leaving behind? What are we passing on to our children and grandchildren? The world isn't connected by molecules. It's connected by stories and traditions, memories, hopes, and dreams. We're connected by legacies passed down from those who came before and the legacies we pass down to those who come after us. Now, here's the key. Listen to this. You're going to have a test. Legacy and interconnection across time with a need for those who have come before us and a responsibility to those who come after us. Want me to say it again? Test time. Legacy is an interconnection across time with a need for those who've come before us and a responsibility to those who come after us. For children, legacy means learning from the past. It separates the timeless from the transient. For adults, legacy means hoping for the future. It means developing and passing on a timeless part of yourself. For both young and old, the power of legacy enables us to live fully in the present. Remember again, legacy is an interconnection across time with a need for those who've come before us and a responsibility to those who come after us. Let me say lastly, legacy is very much for life and living. Today I have two guests, and actually this is their second time on the show. They represent legacy from two different lens. They are mother and daughter, manager and musician, teacher and student. Also, they're building a legacy together across culture and miles. After our break, you will be encouraged by their story. Stay close now. This is Radio Fairfax. Freeform programming created by the people for the people of Fairfax County, Virginia. Call us or email us 703-560-TALK. 
or Radio Fairfax at fcac.org. Hello, my name is Sharon Murray. I'm your host on Heartbeat, Thursdays at 12 noon. It's an inspirational program filled with messages of hope and love and a variety of heartwarming, inspirational music. You can succeed as long as success is in every beat of your heart. And I look forward to you joining me on Heartbeat, Thursdays at 12 noon on Radio Fairfax. An important message from Medicare. When my son first told me about extra help from Medicare, I said, thanks, but no thanks. I didn't want any help paying for my prescriptions. I told him, I don't have much money coming in, but I still have my pride. Besides, I, I looked into it a couple years ago. I figured if I didn't qualify then, I wouldn't qualify now either. My, oh my, am I ever glad my son didn't give up on me. He reminded me that I was on a limited income and that it was easier than ever for people like me to qualify. So I called and he was right. Now I pay just a few dollars for generics and a few dollars more for brand name prescriptions. With extra help, I can afford the prescriptions I need. Thanks, Medicare. Get the extra help you need to stay healthy. Visit socialsecurity.gov or call 1-800-772-1213. I'm Dr. Linda Van Eldick, a biomedical scientist supported by the American Health Assistance Foundation. I'm dedicated to educating the public because it's important for all of us to understand this debilitating disease. I conduct research aimed at discovering new and effective treatments for Alzheimer's disease. This is critical because every 70 seconds someone in America is diagnosed with Alzheimer's. That's more than a thousand people a day. Preliminary data show that exercise, a healthy diet, and keeping your mind active may help reduce your risk. At our website, ahaf.org, experts will answer your questions and address your concerns. Find out about promising research the Foundation funds and learn how to live with or care for someone with the disease. Call 1-800-437-2423 or go to ahaf.org for a free brochure on understanding Alzheimer's disease. That's 1-800-437-2423. Choose radio. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose a big stereo. Choose loudspeakers, car hi-fi, compact disc players, and electrical antennas. Choose good reception, commercial selling dental insurance, fixed interest mortgage rates. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. Choose commercial selling leisure wear, matching luggage, three-piece suite, and higher purchase in a range of fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch listening to mind-numbing, spirit-crushing commercial radio shows. Choose rotting away at the end of it all, fishing your last in a miserable home, nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish branch you spawned to replace yourself. Choose your future. Choose life. I chose not to choose life. I chose something else. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you've got Fairfax County's own free-form radio station that's always commercial-free? It's your station. Use it. And we are back. So much has been said about mothers and daughters, and still, it's just not enough. 
I remember reading somewhere that life doesn't come with a manual, it comes with a mother. Our guests today are mother and daughter, examples of legacy like you won't even believe. But by the end of the show, you will be recipients of a beautiful, uh, a beautiful gift. I'm sitting here looking at them, and they're just, they're awesome. They are Karen <laughs> and Cheyenne Harris. Thank you. And um, I think I'll let them introduce themselves in their own words, however they'd like to. <laughs> well, I'm Cheyenne Harris, and it's good to be back. Um, I'm 18 years old, and I am part of a very large family. Um, as the person that I am, I find my identity number one as a daughter of the Lord. Um, Amen. But below that, I'm a, I'm a daughter to my earthly parents, my father and mother, um, Wes and Karen Harris. And in that, there are a lot of lessons that I've learned. There are a lot of stories that I have acquired over my, my short amount of years on this earth. Um, of all the things that I enjoy, one of the things I enjoy most is spending time with my family, which sounds, I know, like a goody two-shoes answer, but mm. it is the truth. Um, one of the saddest moments this year was when my mother and my younger siblings went on a uh, field trip to Niagara Falls and I was not able to join them because I had school. But, Boo. right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it just goes to show how much I enjoy spending time with my parents. Um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite memories of my mother, which is a silly, a silly story to be perfectly honest, but a few years back, we, we used to own a horse. She passed away a little while ago, but mm -hmm. um, we had to go and take care of her late at night. And it had snowed, and it was freezing, and it was late. It was probably around 12 o'clock at night, and we were driving home. And we were driving past this camp where I work in the summer times with really large hills. And I looked at my mom, and I said, let's go body sledding down those hills as a joke. And my mom looks at me, eyes wide, and says, you want to? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, are, are you serious? And so we turned and we ended up just rolling down this hill in the snow <laughs> at 12 o'clock at night. And it was just, it, it's been one of my favorite memories of my mother just because it shows how spontaneous and uh, fun she is and just how she's willing to, how she's willing to do pretty much anything. Um, and so we have a lot of good times together. You know, um, as I listen to that story, I'm grinning because um, as long as you're on this earth, you have memories mm -hmm. of your mother. And uh, I was laughing because when I was growing up and I was your age, and I call myself being grown, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and my mother pulled me aside. She said, listen, <laughs> I okay. was 18 once, mm -hmm. and I did it much better than you. <gasps> <gasps> and, and then there were the times when um, we'd have pillow fights. Oh. And um, she'd come, and I have a doll collection, and we play dolls. Now, I'm a grown woman, and my mother was oh. a grown woman. So um, she, she told me, she said, you always have the heart of a little girl. And little girls mm. like to go and roll down hills in That's the yeah. snow. <laughs> Am I right, Aaron? Yes, we do. Yes. So I, as I was already introduced, as um, Karen Harris, and Cheyenne is... Our oldest daughter, my husband and I had nine together, and I have two stepdaughters also, um, lovely young ladies that are older than Cheyenne. In our house, we had nine that all grew up together. And one of the most, um, I guess, life-changing for me moments 
as Cheyenne's mother was we had had three boys and a girl in five years. And when Cheyenne was a baby, she was about nine or 10 months old. Uh, Her brothers were two, three, and five. Mm -hmm. And I had put her to bed in her crib and she was laying on her stomach and she had this halo of this like dirty blonde hair, really curly, just halo around Mm -hmm. her head. And I remember looking at her and being so incredibly grateful because her father had been incarcerated and at that point had gotten a felony charge and had gotten six and a, six years as a sentence in prison. And I had three little boys that had completely lost their minds because they had lost their father. Mm-hmm. I had lost my husband. I had lost the breadwinner of the family. This sounds really dumb, but the dog was freaked out and kept ripping my house apart and eating everything. And the only one in the house that was not devastated was this little girl who just wanted her mommy. And I remember thinking to myself that God had granted comfort to me in the form of this beautiful little child. And that moment of this was a special this was a special, very, very unique gift. And so she, as she grew, I didn't actually know what to do with her. She was kind of like having a fairy in your house. <laughs> and they're beautiful and they flit around and there's beauty everywhere that they go. Except you can't, I couldn't get her to do anything. She, <laughs> And I'm really driven and type A and Cheyenne is flits around <laughs> really most of the time making messes which she said was creating and usually had a trash and I didn't I didn't understand the trash part of it (laughs) there's just trash and she'd say it was something and then I couldn't get rid of it so it kind of drove me nuts and I just did a lot of praying because I had the three little boys and then I had a daughter and with the little boys you just I don't know let them run around and laugh at their little boy antics and correct them when they need to be corrected and try not to talk too much but I didn't know what to do with Cheyenne I didn't know how to connect with her and the first thing I did is I got in a book and it's, it was one of those books where you take your daughter out on dates and you talk about different topics. Yes. And so she was about eight and we were going out and, and I would take her out and it felt awkward to me in a sense, which is funny now because nothing about us is awkward. We make other people feel awkward. We this never feel awkward. <laughs> but I did feel awkward at the time because I didn't know how to connect with her. And then she started getting older And I was wrestling with how do I connect with this child? And I don't know how. She's not like me. She's actually more like my mother. And I didn't know how to connect with her. And the Praise Warriors, uh, which is our music group of the oldest four kids, was a really very neat way of connecting in that I was the manager of the group. And so the four children, when their father came home from prison, had recorded a CD with their dad and then we spent a couple of years performing that CD until they hit puberty and their voices changed and we had to record another CD and it took us five years and we just recently finished that but we started having all these adventures together as a family and that was one really neat connection the other thing is we ended up finding a friend that owned a farm and she and I were going to this farm and spending a lot of time at this farm together At that point, when my husband had come home, we ended up having five more children. And so that, yes, I mean, I'm even amazed sometimes. And 
because we're a homeschool family, all the children are all home together. So at one point I had all nine children are home and Cheyenne and I did a lot of, um, we did a lot of work together. Mm-hmm. Now I know that there is a criticism you hear sometimes about big families and the, the daughters being like mini moms being forced to work more. Mm-hmm. I imagine Cheyenne would disagree that, that her life looked like that. But we did, were able to go and do a lot of things together. And the farm, going to that one farm was a huge part of it. We, you know, driving a two horse team and chickens and the time we had to catch peacocks. I don't, oh, have you ever tried please. to catch it? No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so they're really hard to catch. Um, I stood back from that one. Okay. Yeah, because they bite. And then the, the next thing that ended up being a really neat way of us connecting was, as Cheyenne said, we had gotten a horse. And this, Cheyenne and I had a lot of opportunities to go and spend time together. And it was a very intentional time. Mm-hmm. And of us trying to build having a relationship and doing things together. Mm-hmm. And so... I, I am very grateful for where we are right now, and there was a there was a long process of how do I, how do I learn to relate to her? How do I love her being a different kind of person than I am? And being very grateful for the fact that she allowed me in and that we were able to become really really close. So Cheyenne, listening to what your mother just said, can you finish this sentence for me? Uh, Mom, mother, whatever you call her, um, the thing I love most about you is. Mm. That's a tough one because there are a lot of things that I love about her. Um, I think the thing that I love most about my mother is her heart and not not just what's in it, but what she does with it. The Say way more about that. My mother, she feels a lot of things, as most of us do, mm-hmm. but she doesn't allow just her emotions to control the way that she acts. Mm-hmm. She uses her emotions to help drive her to do the right thing, and just in the way that she has not only set an example, but the way that she has loved each one of us children um and i know that she loves us but it's the way that she has and the way that she has shown us her love and proven where her heart is and it's always almost always in the right place i won't say always cuz no one's perfect but yeah how her heart is almost always in the right place in the way that she approaches any situation um always with a very high level of intellectual consideration (laughs) she is that she is an intellect but you know I'm also hearing and I don't want to put words in your mouth that your mother has nine children and she loves each of them in their own unique way absolutely is that correct absolutely yeah and that's a a really a really big gift because I think that there is a lot of times and I I'm hesitant to say it's a misconception because I'm only one out of I'm sure many children who are a part of big families, but at Mm -hmm. least in my family, I've never felt like I was lost in the mix. Um, I mean, there are times I think in our lives where we all feel lost or alone, but I've never felt as if my parents didn't notice me or didn't care. Mm -hmm. And I think that I'm not really sure how (laughs) she managed it, but I never felt like there wasn't enough time for me. I always felt like when I 
when I needed something, my parents were there. When I wanted to talk to my mom, she was always, she's always ready to listen. And it's difficult when you have that many children to raise. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. But I've always felt like she loves us individually and she's proven it. And I can't really say how because I don't really remember all of the stories. Right. But I, there was never a time in my life where I didn't feel like I was at least special to my mom and that each one of us was individually special to her, which is incredible. And I don't really know how that how that w- happened. But <laughs> based on the conversations I've had with your mom, I think a lot of it has to do with her spirit. Mm-hmm. A lot of it has to do with her faith. And um, that's where her strength. Am I wrong? Absolutely not. Yeah, that's, that's very what true. I sense. Yes. And uh, I found that true for me. Yes. Um, when I look around and I think, oh, boy, <laughs> this is big. Mm-hmm. And then I remember it's not even about me. Mm-hmm. I'm just a vessel. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I interrupted you, of course. Uh, what else would you like to tell me about you and homeschooling? Because I know our listeners heard you say it. Nine, you had nine children at home in school and your teacher. Yes. So I did not want to be a homeschool mother. I thought homeschoolers were weird (laughs) and but what ended up happening was when Wesley our oldest boy was four I suddenly had this realization that you have to do something with your children when they turn five they all go to school and I know that sounds strange but when you have a baby you don't think about it yet you just take care of the baby and then he turns four and I thought oh my goodness he's just gonna turn five he has to go to school so I asked his father Um, what I was supposed to do about school. I mentioned the homeschooling because I had heard Christians that I knew talk about it, Mm -hmm. but I knew nothing except the ones that I had met I thought were a little different. (laughs) And so I I brought it up to Wes, and I said, Wes, should I homeschool Wesley when he turns five? And Wes said, what is homeschooling? And I said, I don't really know. I just, you just don't go to school. You do it at your house. And then he said, well, our three little boys are just like me, and I was very unsuccessful in school. There, you know, he didn't. My husband didn't do well in school. He said they're going to act just like me, and he said you have an education degree from the university. You do it. Well, so there. So there. So then I was thinking I shouldn't have brought it up because now hated I'm stuck. School as well. I I I hated school. I did really really well in school, but I found school to be really boring. And I, I can I can see that I was so bored. I just read under the table and and hid it from my teachers because I just was unbearably bored. So I ended up having all these children, and it was very challenging, especially the years my husband was in prison because I had I homeschooled all day the four children, and then I worked at night. Ah, and that was extraordinarily challenging to be a single mom who homeschooled, and we were also very very poor, and that was um, brutally difficult. So I have spent the past, this is my 19th year of homeschooling. I have spent 19 years studying on how to educate the human soul. And so at this point, homeschooling is a true joy to me. Not that the children don't drive me nuts and that we don't have (laughs) bad days. That's not it. But I, I get an opportunity to pass on the legacy of our faith, 
first and foremost. Yes. That we spend time reading scripture together. We sing songs together. We get to serve at church a lot. Mm-hmm. So church, our church family is our extended family. So as a group with my husband, you know, at the forefront, we are a part of our local church. We serve there. We volunteer and do things. That's a huge part of our life. And we have extra time as homeschoolers. Like we have more time than other people do. Mm-hmm. So as a family, we get to do a lot of service together. We also go on a lot of trips and take a lot of field trips because we can. And mm-hmm. and part of my reasoning is that I want my children to feel as though doing life and doing it well and doing it beautifully mm-hmm. is where true joy is. So I want my 18-year-old in her mind to think, and I was upset she couldn't go with us to Niagara Falls, but I want the 18-year-old to look at going to Niagara Falls with her family and taking trips and hanging out with these big families that we all hang out with and getting pizza and going sledding. I want her to find that to be joy. And if I can do that, then this world with its partying and young men who don't want her for her heart mm-hmm. and that that will not have the draw that it could otherwise. So I'm hearing you say, um, not just for shy, but we're using her as an example. Strong alternatives, mm, absolutely. To choose, alternatives well. yes, absolutely. yes, wholesome, strong alternatives, so that because ultimately she's going to be making choices and very absolutely. tough choices. Yeah. And um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, um, I see the spiritual soulful. What, what was the most difficult subject you had to teach your kids? I'm thinking, I know what mine would be. Uh, it was a material logic and geometry. So I the older logic. children took logic one, two, material logic. Um, they took at least two of and rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And Advanced formal logic. Yeah, the right. formal logic is really hard. And so the kids would come to me and say I can't figure out this problem mm-hmm. and I would take the, t- the their book and then the answer book and say can you come back in a half an hour because mm-hmm. I need to sit here and try to figure this out so I one of the really neat things about homeschooling is that I got to redeem my own education I've spent the last 19 years mm-hmm. studying history and math and grammar and literature because I All did it alongside of my children that's awesome it is awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very, very grateful that mm-hmm. I had a husband who was 100% supportive. And geometry, I couldn't do theories when I was in high school taking geometry. And I, 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 I kind of flubbed my way through geometry. That was really hard. But you know what I thought was fun uh, that you said, and unfortunately because of the way our school systems are set up, mm-hmm. public schools, a teacher can't say, give me 30 minutes and they let can't. me do this. And I've been privileged to be a principal of two private schools. And uh, the one that was most fulfilling for me was the one that had 800 students that had been adjudicated. They were all in trouble with the law from ages mm. 10 to 18. And because that's where the most opportunity was. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I set it up on the Boys Town model with, with cabins and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and put a lot of art. The, the story that I love most is showing how setting expectations can change behavior. I expected them 
to act like young men and women. I expected mm, them to be yes. li- bilingual. In school, they spoke this way at home, whatever it took to survive. Mm. And uh, I, I wanted them to come full of hunger and questions, so I would create yes. things. I'd bring art, and they go, Miss Skinner, does somebody look like me do this? Mm. And I'd say, well, let's, let's go to the computer lab and find out, you know. So that was my joy. But I know in the classrooms, public schools, they're crowded. Teachers are giving their souls. They're paying for, you know, materials. The children are coming there hungry. And it's hard to do. uh, And they do such a good job in in spite of the fact that their own creativity can't always be alive and well in the classroom with the children. Because everybody has a different learning style. You know, different communication Absolutely. stuff. Yes. And, and there are multiple intelligences all over the place. So how do you set a curriculum to do that? And it sounds like you figured it out. So I, and I feel like I, what I do at, my, at, at home is something that could be replicated whether your children were in school or not. Not that you're going to do all the things that we do. Are you running behind? Yes, I'm, I forgot a commercial, but it's okay. I'll catch up. Go okay. ahead. <laughs> you know, I do that when I get engrossed. Go yes. ahead. So I would say that, that some of the key things are that our children need to read the best literature that the world has to offer. The idea being if you continually feed your children tasty cakes and cocoa puffs and potato chips and then you get upset because they don't want to eat your grilled chicken and, and greens, mm-hmm. then because you were feeding them garbage, they don't have the taste for that which is good. Right. And so we want their hearts to have a taste for that which is good. Mm-hmm. And so there's 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 beautiful literature that has been written that regardless of where your child is, regardless of what neighborhood you live in, our children can have an opportunity to read things that will lift their minds and give them a vision beyond where they are. And we need vision beyond where we are. Yes. We need to know that our block is not the only world that there is. Yes. And we can we can live vicariously and then open up a world of hope to be able to read well. Mm-hmm. For parents to go on adventures with their kids, we need to have time to go do the fun things. We have, I've taken the kids in the middle, like one time we were driving home and it was a snowstorm and we, were, we live in the country and there was this windy country road and I stopped the car. Mm-hmm. And it was pitch black, and I said, "Everybody get out." There were cows. I said, "Everybody out. We're getting out." And we just stood outside in oh, the snow yeah, yeah, yeah. and looked at the stars, and we just enjoyed the beauty of it. And so, we can take the time that we don't fill our entire lives with activities, but we build as a family, making memories together, where the children can find joy. They, they listen to beautiful music. Yes, yes, yes. And they, they enjoy it. They, they do they enjoy, enjoy it. Absolutely. When I was fresh out of college, I taught first grade. And we used to have time in the afternoon, independent time, and I would play classical music. Yes. And they would scold me if I forgot. Miss Garlington, where's our music? And yes. they had, you know, it would rotate, and they got to choose. And they learned composers' names, mm, and yes. they learned to draw to the music and move to the music. I love it. And, you know, we listened to Peter and the Wolf and which, mm. which instrument was the yes. wolf. and blah, blah. Uh, They love they that. Love and I don't think that has anything to do with economics and your mm-hmm. social Absolutely standing. Absolutely not. Nope. I think it has to do with the minds that they come here with that are waiting to be opened. 
you know. Agreed. And appreciate. I, I'm, I'm going to just take a little commercial here. Yes. And it's just, just in case. <laughs> just okay? in case. Yeah. Let me see what I got. This is Radio Fairfax, original non-commercial programming by Fairfax County volunteers. Come join us and put on your own show. Learn how on the web at fcac.org slash orientation. Blues This Good can only be heard on the Blues Nuggets segment of Radio Retro every Sunday, 10 p.m. to midnight. dangers of hearing the lighter side show hosted by andy hamill the lighter side is a big mix of spoken stand-up comedy on records current and classic comic novelty music from classics by spike jones to the latest hits by weird al yankovic and others musical oddities and a wide selection of rock and pop music a big mix of comedy music and weirdness Avoid The Lighter Side Show every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. on Public Access, Cable Radio in Fairfax, Virginia. I'd love to travel green more, but the train leaves in the middle of the night. If the train would get me to where I'm going quicker, that would be good. Being cooped up in a car for a long time is no fun. Find out how you can help bring better passenger train service by logging on to narprail.org or by calling 202-408-8362. Trains, a travel choice Americans want. This message was brought to you by the National Association of Railroad Passengers, the National Association of Broadcasters, and this station. There's something different about the way kids play sports today. Things are getting serious and highly repetitive. Orthopedic surgeons are seeing an increase in overuse injuries. The injuries caused by over-specialization in one sport. When a young athlete performs the same stressful activities time after time, day after day, 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 day. Overuse injuries can happen by throwing too many baseballs without enough rest. Overuse can happen in gymnastics, tennis, weight training, even cheerleading and swimming. Okay, kids, ten more laps to go. Ten, 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 more, more. You get the idea. Left untreated, overuse trauma to young shoulders, elbows, knees, and wrists may require surgery. If your kids play hard and train hard, <laughs> make sure you have expert advice for treating and preventing overuse injuries. Visit orthoinfo.org or stopsportsinjuries.org. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and the American Orthopedic Society for Sports Medicine. On Tuesday, Becky was sick. On Wednesday, she was gone. I was there for my son's first breath and his last. The infection spread so fast. David got it when he was 13. Terry was only five. Parents need to know. There is something they, they can, can do. Preteens and teens are at greater risk. School nurses nationwide urge you to listen to the voices of meningitis. Get preteens and teens vaccinated against this rare but serious disease. To learn more, go to voicesofmeningitis.org. And we are back. I don't know. I'm looking at my guest, and they're they're playing like <laughs> little kids in the classroom, and they won't tell me what they're doing over there. But that's okay. I'm telling on them. So mm -hmm. there. Okay. 
So we've got a taste of mm-hmm. what it's been like for you. And I ask you this question, and Cheyenne, you keep her honest. With all that you deposit legacy, and remember we said a legacy can be an ideal, an idea, children, uh, a skill set, an attitude. Um, you are depositing legacy to your family across the board. Uh, what do you do for you? Keep her honest, Shy. So I have in the past at different times, I, a long time ago, I took jujitsu for a while and that was really fun. Over the summer, I climbed a mountain. Mm. It, I'd like to say I, I hiked it, but we were climbing part of it. So that was a really big deal. It was 100% for me. I went with a girlfriend. We climbed one of the um, Adirondacks and I plan on going back again. I wrote a book which I'm, I've just rewritten for, I think, the fourth time, and mm-hmm. I'm three pages away from being finished. So that was absolutely for me. And the name of the book is? A Happy Mother of Children. Oh, I like that. We're going to have to explore that more. You Look, can't just keep rewriting it. I, you know, it's I, your legacy. <laughs> At some need, point, you want I, someone to read it, right? I, yeah, I, need to, I need to get a grip, yes. Yes, get a grip. I have, <laughs> I've gone running. I, one of the things I do that I think is really been very helpful to me totally excluding my faith so without my faith in Jesus and what he's done I just wouldn't exist and I would have given up a long time ago Mm -hmm. so that's a given but I have what we call now I have a tribe of friends I have girlfriends that's good and the neat thing is that uh, most of my girlfriends also have a whole bunch of kids and so I went Actually, even last night, and I took my crew, and I went to my girlfriend's house, and she, there was, I don't know how many kids there, probably all together, like 20-some-odd children in the house. You had a school. Yes, and there was just, there was four moms, and we sat and ate salad and talked and laughed. And so to have other moms to be able to walk alongside with me to talk about the things that go on in life, and that has brought me a lot of joy. I'm very, very grateful to all of my girlfriends. I love my husband, and he's absolutely wonderful. Um, one of the other things that's 100% for me is th- we have date night on Saturday night. Well, good for you. I and was wondering about that. We do that. every Saturday, and we have, except for the years my husband was in prison, so we've been married for 22 years. We have date night on Saturday night, and that to me is, it feels extravagant, like we tell the kids, don't come in. Yes, don't. they have date night no matter what. And sometimes I'm stuck babysitting however many children it was the other night. Because we had extra kids. Mom, mom volunteered me to, to watch other okay, children. Okay, I totally, I did. Because it was it? date night, so. I think it was eight Well, I love, I love the idea that one, date night is sacred. Now what I it think is, is important is, is our listeners, predominantly women, need to hear this. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what generation you are, mm. you need to find a way to treat yourself like someone you love. And if you do have a large family or a career that is spiraling out of I don't know what, and generally those, those people marry career people that are doing the same thing, you've got to make time for, you, for each other. Yes. You've got to make time for togetherness and renewal. 
And I, I just celebrate you saying that. And you know I have to switch lanes now before yes, we ma'am. run out of time because yes. you and your daughter <laughs> did something extremely special. Indeed. And I'm thinking like um, maybe she had the choice of Paris or Egypt or Spain. And she chose to go with you to Chihuahua, Mexico. Oh, boy. Indeed. How about taking us visually on that trip? Help us to see Chihuahua, Mexico. Well, for for starters, um, so to give the, the background of the story, I graduated back in May, correct? I think it was yes. May. Mm-hmm. I graduated from high school, and my mom and I were having this back-and-forth discussion for months beforehand, uh, trying to figure out what we wanted to do for graduation because she took each one of my older three brothers on a trip for mm-hmm. their graduation, mm-hmm. and we just didn't know what to do for mine, and we had a lot of ideas about going to Disney World or going on a cruise or mm-hmm. traveling or going backpacking, something something ridiculous, of course. <laughs> and we weren't, we weren't really set on anything, and it was a lot of good-sounding ideas, but nothing was really sticking. Um, and for me, all of growing up, I always had this this draw in my heart towards mission work. Okay. And it's something that I've always envisioned myself doing and something that I've always wanted to to try. Um, And so I'm not really sure how the opportunity came up. I think mom saw something about it in um, the church bulletin maybe. I don't remember what it was. was And she she said to me, she was like, what would you think about going on this missions trip for your senior trip? And, you know, she was like, you don't have to, you know, it's totally up to you. This is your trip. Mm -hmm. And as soon as she said it, I was like, that's it. That's what we need to do. That's what we're doing. Okay. How did you, okay, take us on the trip. How did you get there? We flew. We took three separate flights to get there and three separate flights to get back. I believe you. It was, (laughs) it was my first time ever flying. um, And I absolutely loved it. It was absolutely gorgeous. Good. Um, Flying there was just so beautiful being on a plane even the uh just the the plane flight itself was was really funny of course okay we've landed um it was daylight which was strange because we had been flying for a long time (laughs) and it we were you know in the middle of a city um it's very bright i just remember it being very bright and i noticed that even though it was probably about 80 degrees every single person was wearing jeans they do not wear shorts they all wear jeans, which is a strange thing to remember, but... Not for an 18-year-old. <laughs> um, okay, so now we're there. Do you connect with someone? Absolutely. Okay. So we end up, there is a there is a missionary there, and there is an organization called Light Shine, and Light Shine is a sponsorship program, mm-hmm. and it is specifically to the Tatamata people, which are... Indian people that have come out of the Sierra Mountains okay. down into the cities. Okay. They are differentiated from the what they would say are mestizos or the Mexican people. Okay. They are different they're different they are t- from different heritages. Mm-hmm. And there is an enormous amount of discrimination between the people groups. Okay. The Indians are not accepted. Um, the Tatamata Indians are not accepted by the mestizos. So this ministry was an um, an outreach to the Tatamata people. Okay. So they have classes twice a week for the children where they get to eat, they feed them dinner, they do Bible, and then they do either act some kind of activity or a health and hygiene class okay. for the children. Okay. Our, 
when we went, we were going on a vision trip because there was a new community of Tatamata people mm-hmm. where a man who they called the governor had led a group of a couple hundred people out of the mountains down into Chihuahua, Mexico, trying to find a better life for his people. He said he was unsuccessful after 18 years. And he had reached out to the head missionary and asked if they would come and help. Okay. So we got to go for the very first time ever where the mission team went and met with the governor for the first time in a place called the Ladriera, which is the brickyard. Okay. They make bricks there. And so you are standing in an orangish, red, dusty desert. Okay. There's nothing but like weeds and uh, it looks like construction trash. I don't know how else to put it. Mm -hmm. There's bricks and rubble and glass and clothes. There's lots of clothes in piles and you're surrounded by the mountains and the wind is incessantly blowing. And we stood there the very first time there was a group about 15 of us all together. The first time that this governor spoke to Chris, the head missionary, mm-hmm. and explained to him that we need you to come and we need your help. And we all got to stand and be a part of a place that had, in one sense, completely lost hope. The children are not all getting to school. There is no running water. There's barrels that the government comes and fills up barrels, and they get the running water out of barrels. A lot of the children don't even know where they live because oh. they just sleep wherever they are. Oh, my. So they're not... They're not in general being taken care of. There's no belief in a f- real family structure. That's what I was going to ask. There isn't. There is there's no none. There's no okay. marriage. So there's a lot of half siblings and a lot of okay. A All lot right. of fighting. There's a lot of fighting between half siblings. Okay. Because there's no there's no sacredness within within a marriage. So people just move around a lot. So we ended up our church and another church are now the sponsor churches mm-hmm. for the Ladriera, and mm-hmm. so. Now, twice a week, there are people coming in that are loving on the children. They are getting fed. Mm-hmm. They are getting to hear the gospel. And Cheyenne and I, to be able to have the blessing of being a part of what God is doing, mm-hmm. this wasn't about us coming in as some kind of rescuer. This was God was about doing God's business, mm-hmm. and we were privileged enough to be a part of that. And we got to have the opportunity of making that memory together and the joy of connecting with the, the, the children and giving out stickers and hugging them and playing in Cheyenne. Um, I think one of our favorite memories was the soccer. Yeah, we did a sort of uh, fiesta, a little party. Oh, yeah. And we, we brought tables that we had built. and um, Which was awful. It was I just an interesting to say. time. But, but they, we, they were tables they built. Indeed. Yes. Um, no, we built the tables. Well. And it was all, yeah, I'm not They were it. a mess, but it's okay. Um, and just, we had brought all of these little activities to do with the kids, and it was really windy. So, you know, all the coloring books kept blowing off the tables. Yeah, yeah. But um, I got to play soccer with a lot of the kids, and that was just a lot of fun, just to be able to run around in, in the wind and in the dust and to just bond. And it was difficult because we spoke different languages and so yes. it was hard because you yes. you know you expect in a way you expect it to be uncomfortable because you don't know how to interact with people that you can't communicate with but instead it was more of just this unspoken bond was created so quickly and so deeply that 
the only painful thing was not being able to speak to those people mm-hmm. that I now so deeply love and cherish. You know, I found um, I lived with a Mexican family, spoke no English, and I spoke no Spanish for the summer. And I really resonate with what you said. But I found the key is not communicating as much as connecting. Absolutely. Yes. And the compassion mm-hmm. and what you can do with expressions and hugs yeah, you can do a lot. and laughs, you know. And if you're immersed, I was for a summer, I was I was very fluid by the time I left because that's the way I ate and, and bathed and everything. <laughs> yes. But um, let me ask you this. You had said to me once before that about children that, um, was this the place about the adoption issue? Uh, yeah. Um, yes. Foster care. Yes. Can you can you tell me? Yes. Quickly? So in Mexico, there was no foster care system. Okay. If a child was being abused, they were just taken away from their families and usually just put into orphanages, which were not exceptionally well run. And this is no disrespect to Mexico, but uh, there's people on the ground that have told me this. Because so, there was just too many children in the orphanages. Yeah. Even people with well-meaning hearts. It was just it's too, too many. much crowded. Yeah. So within the past six months, there are people who, through Lightshine, have been lobbying the Mexican government. Okay. And for the first time ever, they have now instituted allowing a foster care system. And the first place they're ever going to do it in Mexico is right in Chihuahua at the Lightshine Mission House. They oh, now have the social worker and a lawyer. And the people that they need so that they can start bringing children who are in danger and then letting them be fostered out to vetted families within the church mm-hmm. to be a part of helping and coming alongside of this family that's struggling with this child. And it just recently happened over the past few months. And it was because of the people at Light Shine. And it's it's a revolutionary, in a sense, for that country. I, I consider that legacy wouldn't you? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. Listen, um, you know, I always give an assignment to my guest. Yes. And that is to, generally I I ask them, would you please write a letter to your younger self? And these guests, as you can tell, are very creative and open and wonderful. And they said, well, we want to do it differently, Tyra. (laughs) And I said, we're not cooperative people. And I said, uh, (laughs) Okay, what would you like to do? <laughs> I'm sorry. So, um, accommodating. Wh- here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to forget the spiritual doggy bag because I believe what you're about to hear is that. And we have about four minutes. And I'd like for you all to go after it. Tell us what you got to tell us. The question was, what advice would I give to my younger self? And there was advice that I was giving to my younger self that I continually give, which is, I knew with small children, when I had small children, that one day they would get old enough that they would look hard at their mother and they would ask themselves, if I was a woman who was worthy of their respect, Mm -hmm. was I a woman that they could actually listen to? Mm -hmm. And I have taken that to heart that in my life, in how I engage with them, in how I spend my time, spend my money, I have thought, Karen, are you a woman that's worthy of your children's respect? Because one day they're gonna, you know, it's not just gonna be the three-year-old who wants to show you a picture. Will my 15-year-old wanna come to me when it's time to talk about the boy that she likes? And I need to have earned that. Being her mother wasn't enough. Being their mom's not enough, I have to earn it. And I have dedicated my life to earning the right to walk alongside of my children as they grow and as they become adults, which I have adults now. That was mine. And I was going to let Cheyenne finish. Cheyenne, um, do. 
My mother is an absolutely wonderful mother, and I think that one of the ways that she has um, that she has just blessed us is, for one, by caring. And like I mentioned before, it's not quite that she is loving, but how she goes about it. Because I think a lot of times that parents in their concern for us can be very nagging and, you know, there can be a lot of pressure on teenagers. And I think that pressure is good. But I think that parents need to be careful in the way that they do it and to make sure that their kids understand that it's out of love. Um, one of the biggest things that has influenced us in our growth from my parents is their honesty and their openness. And I think that we can all learn from that. And I think my parents were so open and honest with us, they were always willing to share their mistakes and share their stories. And in that way, we learned not only that our parents were human, but that they understood. And I think that's very important is for for children and young people to understand that parents have been where we are. And it's not just because that I was once 18, but that they understand because they too made mistakes. And I think that's huge. I think um, two things that I would like to capture at, from your from your conversation and put in a doggy bag, and that is, shall you saying your parents showed you their vulnerability, mm. and that is a behavior that you're going to need as you go through life. Mm. And they've also shown you authenticity. Mm. And I heard Karen you saying more than just your children coming through you you wanted them to see you apart from that natural process as a human being that was worthy of their love don't let me put words in your mouth but is that what i'm hearing yes that, yes. I, that they would that they would i wanted to be able to share with them what i knew i'm further along than they are in this road i've known the lord a lot longer but i had to earn that and you and in order to do that, we have to have hearts mm -hmm. that are tied together in a sense of fellowship. And that's something that I knew that I had to earn because you don't just get that. You have to earn that. I, um, mm, I feel right this moment so blessed to have shared this hour and it seems to be over. <laughs> so goodbye. Thank you. Next week, next time, see you again. <laughs>